So Money is brought to you by CNET, the site that shows how to navigate change all around us. So Money episode 1414, will canceling student loans improve the wealth gap? You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. If we're talking about closing the wealth gap, Uh, There is an opportunity for the Biden administrations to do more and canceling interest rates is another way to do that. Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm Farnoosh Tarabi. As a follow-up to the big news that President Biden is going to cancel at least $10,000 in student loan debt for millions of borrowers and $20,000 to Pell Grant recipients, we're talking about how this may or may not impact the wealth gap in America. This plan is expected to help mainly working and middle-class borrowers. About 75% of the benefit will go to households making $88,000 or less per year. That's according to the Penn-Wharton Budget Model and analysis. But my guest today has some insights and advice on how this plan can go even further. Jean Lee is the president and CEO of the Minority Corporate Council Association, which is the preeminent advisor on diversity, equity, and inclusion to C-suites across corporate America. Jean is an immigrant woman of color with a background in social work and corporate law. She's a fierce advocate for her individual and institutional clients, and she now champions systems-level change to promote greater opportunities for those who, like her, are building careers in defiance of the status quo. Here's Jean Lee. Jean Lee, welcome to So Money. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm interested in your thoughts on the new Biden plan to eliminate some student loan debt. We've been covering this on the show in a few episodes, and I'm sure anyone listening is familiar with this update. But just to recap, President Joe Biden announced earlier, I guess it was now, what was it, end of August, that he's going to cancel about $10,000 in student loan debt for millions of borrowers, as well as $20,000 to Pell Grant recipients. We did a whole Q&A on what does this mean, how to get more information. But what I really wanted to focus on uh, and, and dedicate a whole episode on was how this may or may not impact wealth gaps. And so, Jean, welcome to the show. You are president and CEO of the Minority Corporate Council Association. Before we get into your thoughts and your analyses, just tell us a little bit about your role as president and CEO. Uh, and, and again, thank you so much, Farnoosh, for having me uh, on your show today. I'm delighted to be here. Um, so uh, as the president and CEO of MCCA, the Minority Corporate Council Association, uh, we lead a variety of um, efforts to improve diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace. Uh, we're focused on recruiting, retention, and promotion of diverse attorneys. And frankly, uh, the burden of student loan debt um, is something that we're incredibly interested in because it hurts particularly um, our constituents, Black and minority students, and depletes our um, pipeline that many of our members and we all care about. Uh, So I came into this role as a first as a volunteer board member and then um, decided to be full-time president and CEO about six and a half years ago. It is something that I'm incredibly passionate about as a first generation Korean American woman um, and growing up, you know, in the States where 
There were a lot of changes in the last, you know, several decades. Um, it is something that I have come to embrace, something that I'm passionate about, not only um, in my role currently as president and CEO, but in my prior roles as social worker and, of course, as a volunteer for this organization. So mm-hmm. delighted to be here. And um, thank you again for having me. Yes. Well, as the daughter of immigrants, Jean, how were you introduced to this concept of affording an education in America? My parents are immigrants from Iran. They didn't believe in student loans as just a, like, <laughs> that was the baseline. Like, we're not taking out debt. I'm very grateful for that. It was made it, it made it a little bit more challenging, of course, to choose a college and go to college, but such a great way to kind of get a leg up in, in my financial life. But curious, just what was your experience at home? And similarly, you know, um, my parents really believed in hard work and education. And and while um, they tried their best, uh, life was not financially very easy for us. Uh, my parents came at a time where it was... Um, Korea was going through a lot of industrialization. The war had just ended between North and South. Um, And I did not have the great fortune of not being able to take out student loans. So this is not only personal for me, having struggled through um, tons of debt uh, to get an education because my parents believe that in order for us to succeed in, in their new home, new country, that we had to attain education. Uh, so for for me, um, I also was uh, financially independent as of my freshman year in college. So thanks to the generosity of some of the universities um, like NYU and Rutgers, where I've attended, who've given me not only student loans, access to student loans, but scholarships, I was able to um, support my education. But, uh, you know, that did not come without a price. I mean, I worked multiple part-time jobs to minimize debt. And still, I ended up with a pretty substantial debt um, that I've only really recently started to make a huge dent, um, probably in the last, I would say really from the last decade or so. So this is this is an important issue for many students. And I have the good fortune today of having uh, worked in corporate America and having, you know, uh, had those opportunities to to be able to pay those um, debts that I've incurred as um, a college and then, of course, a law student and then did my master's in social work and psychology and so on. So um, a lot of lot of personal knowledge, as well as certainly in my current role as CEO, it's something that I've been paying quite a bit of attention to and how it impacts really our black and uh, minority students disproportionately more so than Asian American students and white students. Mm. So then, Gina, what were your initial reactions to Biden's new plan to eliminate, as I said, ten to $20,000 worth of debt, depending on the kind of debt you're carrying? And of course, there's income requirements for this too. You have to be making no more than $125,000 as a single taxpayer, $250,000 as a household. Initial thoughts, and then now that we've had a bit of time to reflect on this and see maybe what the potential impacts are, Um, Any new thoughts on this? I think, you know, any relief, um, despite how small, um, I think is good. So I'll start from there. So, you know, I'm really excited and happy to see that the Biden administration is giving some relief. But I really just think that it's just not enough. 
Um, if we truly care about transformation and closing the wealth gap for Black Americans, as President Biden had said during his um, uh, run for the office of presidency just a year and a half ago, um, I think he needs to do more. I think that um, one of the things that that we may have reflected upon in the last several months, but certainly it's been it's been studied and reflected upon for the last decade or so. Uh, it is no surprise that um, black students carry higher uh, student loan uh, than any other group uh, that uh, have taken out loans. And in some cases uh, where there are private loans involved, black students have higher interest rates than compared to, let's say, white students. On average, um, it's about half a percent to a percent more in interest rates for private loans, as well as the, the actual dollar amount that black students carry compared to other students. Um, so I think there needs to be more. I think the Biden administration can, for example, cancel interest rates for black students. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the, the administration could also um, not base this on uh, income, because I think that tends to hide the real problem of the, uh, the wealth gap in this country uh, between black and uh, white Americans and, uh, and other groups um, as well. So more. More could be done uh, in addition to the relief that the administration is providing. One one of those things is to cancel interest rates for black and marginalized groups, um, as well as not basing it on income. Mm-hmm. The plan also, Gene, as we know, it vows to reduce monthly payment caps from 10% to 5% of a borrower's income. This is going to be part of the um, income-based repayment plan, which was first enacted during the Obama era. People like this. They say, you know, actually, this is the better news here that long term, this actually has an opportunity to move the needle and help people get out of the financial student loan rut. Do you agree? Any efforts to relieve uh, students from their student loan debt um, is is a positive one. But again, what MCCA and we are urging the Biden administration to do is to expand the debt relief. Um, and again, you know, that is another great step, but cancel the interest rate. I mean, for those of us who have experience around compounded interest rates when you're paying back a student loan as well as anything else, um, it compounded interest really adds up. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, there are now calculators and things available on the website that talks about the, you know, how compounded interest could really add up for borrowers. And, and it's no surprise that once again, if you're taking out a larger loan amount, the compounded interest rate um, tends to have a larger financial impact. And if we're talking about closing the wealth gap, uh, there is an opportunity for the Biden administrations to do more. And canceling interest rates is another way to do that, especially for direct loans, because essentially the federal government is disproportionately uh, really profiting from black students because they tend to take out Uh, larger loan amounts than any other group. I think in some cases, double the amount of white students and 30% more than Asian American students. Um, So if you start doing the math, this really adds up and there's an opportunity for the government um, to certainly make a bigger difference. Right. Or just make it free. 
Because the reason that Black students are taking out all of this debt, it goes back to the wealth gap, the fact that they don't come from a place of means as much as other races. And so maybe that's important to also, you know, give some context to. I would love you to to provide insights into how it even comes to be that those who carry the most burden here are the minorities, are the Black Americans. It really starts about generational wealth. Um, and again, this is a complicated issue, and I'm, you know, I'm going to focus on the limited aspect of the student loans. But if you're looking at generational wealth, wealth gets passed on from one generation to the next. There is generational wealth that has been built for white Americans that has not been the case for Black Americans. Hence, the the larger loan amount in order to get the education, to get the better paying jobs, is what's creating this sort of bigger gaps between generations. So. If you're a student, for example, whose parents, a black student in this country, just as a a typical example, um, you take out a loan for $20,000 because your parents cannot afford to pay for education, well, then you get an interest rate um, that gets compounded. It makes it harder for you to pay that loan back. And perhaps because of, you know, the recession fears, or some would argue that we're currently in a recession, given the two down quarters that we've had, um, it makes it harder for you to get a job that will help you pay off that loan. So you're not making maybe a bigger loan payment than you would like. So it it starts to compound um, generation after generation. And if you have a bigger debt, you can't help the next generation because you're not accumulating wealth in the same way, for example, that white Americans are accumulating. Um, Again, that's one aspect of how generational wealth is impacted because because you're you're bogged down by debt um, rather than being able to build wealth. Um, And it takes longer for you to build that wealth to be able to pass it on to the next generation. Um, So I think there are many factors, but that is one sort of simple way in which generational wealth is really impacted because you have this debt that you are acquiring in order to in hopes of uh, attaining a job that will allow you to pay off debt. But because your interest rates are higher, because it's compounded, it's just taking you longer to build out wealth uh, compared to someone who took out less loans or had parents who were able to offer support. Right. You mentioned that you aren't loving the fact that there's these income requirements, right? That they're actually not representative or fair in a sense to say, okay, well, if you're making $126,000 a year, you're no longer qualified for this forgiveness because you're making a lot of money. But it's not really looking at the totality of somebody's financial reality. What else should be involved in the application process so that we can help our people and be really true to helping the people who need it the most? I mean, I think there are several things um, that people can look at in terms of the actual um, the student loan debt. The amount I think is important. So one of the things that um, the the government did that I thought was uh, a good starting point is that they forgave uh, those students who took out a Pell Grant because that suggests that uh, the student had an economic need uh, more so than another student who. Uh, wasn't eligible. Pell Grant is based on um, uh, the lack of economic um, resources. So I think one of the things that uh, folks can look at is how much debt does one carry? Because if I carry, let's say, $50,000 and you carry uh, $25,000, but we both make the $125,000 a year that the government had established, for example, I'm going to be paying my debt 
um, for a, a longer period of time than you. And then in addition to that, as I repaying, there's compounded interest. So at the end of the day, when you do that math, and I think there, I remember seeing an example for um, the impact of compounded interest. So for example, I think it was like for Howard, um, college students, they take out on an average of about $10,000 in student loan. Well, if that takes you uh, three years or 10 years to pay off, that interest rate starts to increase, even though you may have a lower interest rate. So looking at just the income levels in determining um, what forgiveness should be you know, provided to a student is really misleading because if I took out $50,000, yes, the $10,000 will be equitable, for both of us, pay, because we're, we're making $125,000 and we're getting $10,000 uh, forgiven. However, if you're really thinking about the amount of loans I owe versus what you owe, it will have a disproportional impact on my sort of ability to acquire wealth that we just talked about. So it may take me twice as long, if not three times as long, to pay off that debt. And so even though I may make $125,000, I'm not going to be saving the $125,000. Therefore, I might not have you know the savings to own a home one day or to do something else, um, have more mobility in my career. Maybe I have to take a job that's focused on more of making the money and paying back the loan rather than something I'm passionate about. So it could impact life in so many different ways that that just looking at income is very isolated and and quite myopic in in my opinion. And I think probably political, you know, that the administration doesn't want to get they they want to avoid that criticism that this is going to help the quote unquote wealthiest, right? Because if they're saying, okay, now it doesn't matter how much you make, or you could, you know, you could be a law student who's making, you know, half a million dollars a year now, but has $300,000 in student loan debt. We just focus on the half a million dollar salary and go, that's a rich person. And now we're helping rich people. Um, So I agree. I think it was Sort of an arbitrary metric. And just to interject on that one point, I mean, one of the things that I learned um, talking to a lot of uh, lawyers who, as you noted, may seem very successful because they have a huge income, they have multi-generational families that they're supporting. So while a $500,000 for one single person may seem like they're financially doing extremely well, but what if what if that calculus is slightly different? What if you have three um, generations living in that home and you're the sole breadwinner? Or that everyone is relying on you. I'm not saying that's the case in in every case, but I know more often than not for diverse communities, Asian Americans, Black Americans, um, Latinx, Hispanic, um, and Indigenous peoples, those diverse groups tend to have more than one generation within a home and are supporting not only their own family or themselves, but other uh, you know elderly parents in addition to having their own children and supporting themselves. So we're looking at a very different picture um, when you're just looking at the the income levels of of the students who may own or the or the workers who may own student loan debt. That's a great point and not one that we often think about. So thanks for bringing that up. You work very closely with companies, I understand, to help them realize and implement DE&I initiatives to help you know, because we, you know, we're talking a lot about how the government can play a role in narrowing the wealth gap using student loan debt as a platform to do that. But companies 
that, that employ us, who are incentivized to get us to stay on the, at the company and continue earning and continue growing at the company, can also play an important role in doing this. And so let's let's shift the conversation a little bit to talking about corporate responsibility here. What are you talking about currently with companies on this landscape? And, and what are the things that you're seeing already implemented that, it, that seem to be successful? Yeah, and this is a very unique moment, as you noted. Um, you know, even like three, four years ago, corporations were talking about uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, but really were not focused as much on systemic change. And this is an opportunity for corporations to really focus on that systemic change, uh, and 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 really think about barriers in which um, people can progress and, and the equity piece. Uh, so I, I truly believe that employers can absolutely have a bigger role in helping workers eliminate student loan debt, um, school debt, and some companies are doing that already. Um, some of our members, Google, New York Life, uh, Fidelity are a few of the companies. There are a few others that I'm probably forgetting that are offering um, student debt relief to their uh, workers. It's a great start and opportunity to leverage diverse talent and and also to retain that diverse talent um, within your workforce. So I wholeheartedly encourage um, companies who are committed to DEI issues to really expand um, student loan a relief to as many diverse uh, communities and especially black students um, where that that wealth gap could really start to close um, between races and certainly uh, different communities, even amongst different communities of color. Um, so it's, you know, it's an opportunity for companies to um, take a position in how they can create that um, systemic change that will be permanent, that will be transformative rather than, you know, change that will come back and forth. And uh, as the, you know, as you noted earlier, um, you know, policies change back and forth. And what we're trying to really encourage companies to do is to think long term about that sustainability if you're truly committed to DNI. And this is an opportunity where you can really make that systemic change internally by offering uh, student loan debt relief to uh, more of your um, uh, employees that you're recruiting, especially from diverse communities. I'm sure your email is abuzz with this headline recently, Twilio announcing an anti-racist approach to layoffs. Can you tell us like, how does that work? What is that? What does that mean? Are you familiar with this? And do you think that this is going to become more common? And, you know, one company is making a headline around this, but I wonder if this is going to become more normalized. Yeah, I, I'm not familiar with specifically about Twilio doing this, but, um, you know, if you look at kind of the last 15 years and, and especially the last sort of great uh, recession that we had in 2007 and 8, uh, when all those CDOs went bust, um, it, it, you know, when you look at, um, for example, the workforce in our profession, uh, the first group that were really impacted by the Great Recession were um, diverse attorneys. Uh, and whenever you talk about any sort of recession happening, and I see some of this happening, where um, unfortunately, you know, the first programs to go and the resources to be eliminated is around DEI. And, and that's because most companies until recently have really focused on DEI as a feel good rather than a must have. And some companies that have been very forward thinking have been very strategic, thinking more broadly about sustainability 
and the impact on their organizations have taken a different approach. And that's, that's where the anti-racist approach becomes a really critical component because you're not looking at um, a DEI as, okay, this is a feel-good program. We don't really have time for feel-good because we need to make our um, earnings, you know, we need to make our uh, revenues, et cetera. Uh, you're looking at it much more broadly and from a long-term perspective. It's like anything else you do in business. Sometimes you're going to have a little bit of, of a downside, but how do you how do you mitigate against that? If you set up systemic um, you know, uh, structures that will prevent you from losing the gains you made in your um, efforts, increase diversity, um, and create a culture that's much more equitable and inclusive, you're likely not going to see those issues have a negative impact within your workforce. Mm-hmm. So, um, so at MCCA, one of the things that we have uh, encouraged our companies to do to prevent such um you know, negative impacts. In addition to focusing on anti-racism, we have asked our companies to focus on data because the more you measure and the more you know, the more you can do better. And and when you uh, are doing better and coming out with more strategic efforts to mitigate against these challenges, leaders are much more empathetic and they're much more um, able to take a step back and look at issues holistically and hopefully transform their their workforce for better and for the good, really, to um, mitigate against potential downsides in the in the economy. Um, so that's the way we look at efforts to really decrease the impact of what could be a negative or a racist layoff, as we had seen um, 15, 20 years ago, uh, when when the last um, economic you know Great Recession happened mm-hmm. in 2007 and eight. This is so fascinating, Jean. You know, I've never talked about like recessions, how they can be racist, how recessions can be racist. Because if what I was listening today on the radio with regards to Twilio is that, um, and this wasn't about Twilio, but just sort of speaking around this idea of laying off with through an anti-racist lens. I mean, thinking about companies as they do decide to lay off employees, it's usually like in a panic, and that's when they're not really being thoughtful, and this unconscious bias that they may have had about who's going to stay and who should leave, they're going to probably prefer to have people stay that kind of are more like them. I'm using air quotes. And that is where unconscious bias usually leads to unjust decisions, like laying off more people of color. Just to go back to Twilio though for a second, while they haven't really expanded on what they mean by this anti-racist, you know, carrying out layoffs through an anti-racist lens, it is true too that those that they are letting go, they're going to get 12 weeks of pay along with uh, payment for one week for every year of service to the company. So that's a very big package. And they're going to be able to get the full value of the company's next stock vest. I mean, that's huge. And I, you know, it's a great example. I think others should follow um, as we will probably be laying more people off in the next uh, quarters and business cycles. Yeah. And, and, and be, this will become a much more bigger issue because the Supreme Court, um, which is currently in recess, um, and they go back probably in about two weeks, the first week, the first Monday of October is when the Supreme Court goes back. Um, you know, they're going to hear a lot of affirmative action cases, the Harvard and you, um, UNC affirmative action cases are on the docket for the court to hear, I think, at the end of October, October 31st um, and November 1st. So, uh, you know, DEI and the impact of what is happening in our country, in our 
court systems um, and our companies will have a huge impact on certain populations. And if history is, you know, is a lesson for us to kind of remember, um, it could impact disproportionately um, those communities that are that are already, um, you know, struggling, uh, as well as those who uh, may be on the brink um, as well. So DEI positions, as we know it, um, could be quickly eliminated. Companies can eliminate budgets, uh, those resources and people who let led uh, those efforts in the last few years. So again, MCCA as an organization has always been um, advising corporations and law firms to really focus on systemic change so that you are in a good structurally position to continue all of the great work you've done in the last several years and continue forward rather than regressing back um, because, you know, the economy is taking a downturn or there's a law that is uh, changing. So again, we're encouraging companies to be um, more focused on structural barriers and eliminating those rather than focusing on quick fixes, which um, some companies unfortunately have done. And and we're going to see some of that um, hurt different communities. Yes. Well, Jean Lee, it's been a really, really important half hour with you. And I so appreciate all these um, insights and new ways of thinking um, that you've brought to the forefront and you continue to bring to these stakeholders and leaders in our communities. Thank you for your work and we look forward to having you back anytime. Thank you so much for having me, Farnoosh. And it was a pleasure uh, speaking with you uh, this morning as well. Thanks so much to Jean for joining us. You can learn more about her by visiting mcca.com. I'll see you back here on Wednesday, and I hope your day is so money.